0: I'm going to put a word on the screen that I would like all of you, whatever room you're in right now, to go ahead and pronounce. And so here is the word. Now, what was the word again? It was enough. Yes, everyone in Yorktown, what's the word? Yeah, enough. Everybody in Muncie, what's the word? Yeah, enough. Well, I think this word is maybe the most important For you and I to learn as human beings, just the word enough, because it's a word that many times we have a hard time saying, I think, especially in this crisis that we're going through right now. I have a feeling that many of you have been asking a particular question, which is, do I have enough? Do I have enough faith? Do I have enough strength? Do I have enough money to get through this pandemic? Many of you are going back to work this week and you're scared and you're wondering, am I going to have enough kind of fortitude to get through the work week? Am I going to have enough money when I actually get paid to be able to pay for my bills, whether it's a car payment, a mortgage, a credit card payment, whatever it is, do I have enough? Now, there are others of you are like, well, I have enough right now. But what my concern is, am I going to have enough in the future? Will I have enough in my 401k? Will I have enough investments that I can continue to do? Will I have enough to actually retire? You know, I think most of life can be kind of defined in one of two ways, either a closed fist or an open hand. The reality is, if you think about it, all of life is kind of comes down to these two kind of body movements, a closed fist or an open hand. A closed fist eventually uh, uh, originally kind of becomes a hand that is open, but then when it's squeezed together, it becomes a tight fist. And when it becomes a tight fist, what we are saying is that what I have in here, I want to keep. I do not want to give it away. I do not want to share it. I'm going to hold tightly to it because I'm afraid I might lose it. So I'm going to keep a tight fist. The other image is that of an open hand, a hand that says, I'm open to you, God. However you want to use me, I'm open to it. Whatever you place in my hand, I will share it. Freely, I will give it to other people generously, and I will trust and obey you fully with my open hand. And this kind of leads us then to our big idea this morning, and it's this that God fills open hands. God always fills open hands. An open hand says, Enough. I have enough, God. I Trust you, I have enough. You know, if you can't say the word enough and mean it, it can be deadly. And we see this often with many different species. Uh, Several years ago, when my girls were very little, they wanted to uh, get a goldfish, and I said, yeah, that's fine, no problem, we'll get the goldfish. Well, the goldfish costs two ninety nine, but if you're a parent, you know that that is the cheapest expense. Because then you have to actually buy a fish tank and all the stuff to put in the tank and a filter, and you've got to be able to, you know, take care of whatever uh, you need to have that goldfish to live, especially food. And so with all of this going on, uh, I said, no problem. The, the only issue was the goldfish cost $2.99. We had to take out a bank loan for everything else <laughs> because it was so expensive. Well, one day my girls come up to me and they ask, hey, can uh, we actually feed the fish? And I said, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. Well, I didn't supervise them. And so they took the goldfish food. They poured half of it in that and the fish started to eat it. Now I didn't tell you this, but they named the fish Junior, and so Junior's up there just mmm, mm, mm, eating all of this. He ate all of the fi- all of the food, and then guess what? He died. <laughs> he-, he just died, and the kids were crying. It was all bad, and this was the problem, folks. Goldfish can never be able to say enough. I've had enough. You know, food is something that not only goldfish have a hard time saying enough to, but human beings do as well. They did a study recently in Paris, France, in which they asked people this question. When do you know you have eaten enough food? And so all of these different individuals in uh, Paris said, well, we know that we've eaten enough when we are full. And then we say we're done and that's it. I've had enough. Well, they went ahead and they did this same question study with people who lived in Chicago. And they asked them, they said, well, when do you know you have enough food? And the people in Chicago said, well... When my my plate doesn't have any more food on it, then I know I've had enough. When it's clean, when my television show that I've been watching this entire time for the 30 minutes and I've been cramming the food in my mouth, then I know I have enough. And it's two very different results based upon what people determine as enough. Another famous study came with this whole issue of enough, and it was called the bottomless bowl of soup study. And basically, this is what they did. They took two subjects and with one subject, they filled their bowl once. But with the other one, they continued to give a bottomless bowl of soup. They would have this bat that was on top of the table, but underneath they had this hose that was continually pouring in this kind of soup underneath into their bowl. And they found that people whose bowls kept getting filled ended up eating twice as much as the people whose bowls were not miraculously filled. They would just keep eating the soup, not because they were hungry, but simply because it was there. And they just couldn't say the word enough. Well, folks, this isn't true just with food, but it's true with our treasures, our possessions, our stuff as well. I mean, we all want to think that we are very generous people. There's nobody who is watching this right now that says, you know what? I'd like to be known as a tightwad. I'd like to be known as a miser. I'd like to be known as a non-generous person. None of us want those titles. You know, in this crisis, one of the things that's been really cool for me to watch is all of these stories of generosity, of people just giving of themselves to others. But the truth is, before this pandemic hit... This was not at all kind of a real generous nation. The state of the art study kind of on generosity in our day was recently in a book called American Generosity. And this is what they found that 84 percent, 84 percent, eight out of 10, a little bit more only gave Americans only gave zero to one percent. Of their income away. There are over 330 million people that are in our nation. But what they found is that 84% of us gave either zero or 1% of our wealth away in this land that is so plentiful that we've been given so much. 84% of us gave almost nothing. You know, for most of us, we really never want to be known as people who have a closed fist. We want to be known as the people of an open hand. We want to be known as generous people who are willing to give to others. But the truth is, folks, eight out of ten of us and a little bit more than that. Aren't those kind of people. So in a crisis. The reality is you need to be able to know this word enough and we need to be able to ask ourselves this question. Am I living my life like this or am I living my life like this? Now, I don't think any of us kind of decide that we're going to live our life like this. We, we don't set ourselves up to say, I want to be a closed fist Type of person. You see, all of us pretty soon are going to be going back to work. Some of you already had, and you're going to have an income and provision. And you'll say, This is what I have, but then there'll be something else that says, But this would be enough. And in between what I have and what I think would be enough is the discontentment zone. And many of us are thinking right now, in this crisis, I don't know if I have enough right now, but if I had that much, then I know I would be content. And so before this national crisis, many of us were in a routine that looked like this. I'll work harder, I'll work longer, I'll acquire more. And some of us are Going to be tempted to go back into the marketplace wherever we work, and you will be tempted to say, Well, that wasn't quite enough. I need more now. You know, what I thought was enough really isn't enough. And what you will find is your discontentment zone will hit again, it will just simply be a little bit higher because people think. All the time, these words. Man, if I just had more stuff, if I just had more money, a bigger house, a nicer car, then I would be good. And folks, to say the words, I have enough, it's countercultural. To say I have enough is weird, but this is what I've learned. I'd rather be weird and generous than to be known as a person with a closed fist. Today, our Bible story is going to give us a perspective of a man who learned how to say, I have enough. And I just wonder, by the end of this teaching, if some of you would be able to say, you know what, God, I have enough. I have an open hand right now, and what you place in my hand, I have enough. I will not live with closed fists. I will be a person who is able to say, I have enough, and I fully trust You now, our story is found in Luke uh, chapter 19. And Luke is the third book in the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible. And it's in this chapter that we read a story. And this is how it goes. It says these words. It says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a cheap tax collector and was very wealthy. Now, from these words, folks, we learn a lot about Zacchaeus. What we learn is that he was a person who understood money. He got money. He was good with money. He would walk around going, money, 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 money. And he just was like, let it rain, baby. Let it rain. He knew money. And we know this because in Israel, uh, it, at this time, it was occupied by Rome. And Rome had learned that when you occupy a country, you don't exile all the people back to your country. You leave them there, and then you just tax them to death. But the only problem for the Romans is they didn't have enough people to get all the taxes. So they had to get some people who would be Israelites, but they would be on the Roman side and they would kind of know the lay of the land and then they could tax each of these individuals. And so a tax collector who was from Israel could say something like this. Hey, you know that guy right there? Yeah, he's got 50 sheep, he's got 50 cattle, and he has over 100 acres. And you can get a lot of money out of him. And so naturally, people in Israel, they hated tax collectors because they conspired with the enemy, the Roman government. Well, this was kind of Zacchaeus's game. And nobody liked him because he cheated people all the time. He not only took money from the Israelites, but, you know, he would take more to be quiet to not tell the Romans. And everybody in Israel hated him. But he was okay with it because he was able to say, let it rain. He had all kinds of money coming in and he was very, very wealthy. However, over time, as he got more and more money and it piled up, all of a sudden he started having an empty feeling in his soul. He just started thinking to himself, you know, there's something that is missing. And about that time, he started getting word about this spiritual teacher, a guy by the name of Jesus. And he thought to himself, you know, I'd like to hear him. I'd like to listen to him someday." And in verse three, this is what it says. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, you'll notice that there are a lot of little interesting details in this verse. Uh, the reality is, is that it's not just any tree, but it is a very specific sycamore fig tree. Now, most scholars uh, say that the reason why there's so much detail here is because Luke actually got the story personally from Zacchaeus. And so we get all of the details. The other kind of clue for us is that this story is not found in any of the, of the other gospel accounts. It's not in Matthew or Mark or in John. Also, in the ancient Middle East, uh, it would have been a story that you, if you were rich, you wouldn't have wanted to be known because rich people never ran. I mean, they had robes on. And if you were wealthy, it was like, you know, not dignified to run. And yet the story tells us that Zach. He is runs. I mean, there is something that he really wants to see in Jesus. And so he runs ahead of the crowd. Also, in the ancient kind of Middle East, a rich person would never climb trees in public. I mean, just think about that. If that happened today, it would blow up on Facebook or Instagram. Can can you imagine Warren Buffett, you know, or Bill Gates? They're up in a tree and they're climbing it. I mean, everybody would kind of be like, man, what a jerk. What a joke. I mean, why is that guy climbing a tree? And yet in this story, Zacchaeus climbs the tree because he really wants to see Jesus. Also, we're told in this story that he is short. He's a short man. Now, growing up as a PK, a preacher's kid, uh, we learned all kinds of songs about different Bible characters. And one of those uh, songs was about Zacchaeus. It went like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Now, Anybody that's in a room right now, or you're, you know, with a few people, or maybe you're by yourself, does anybody know that song from church growing up as a kid? Just raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. Now, if you don't know that song and you're raising your hand, just raise your hand, get a stretch break in. Okay. Just get a stretch break. Now, this is what I want you to know. Nobody wants to be known as a wee little man. Nobody. Nobody. The guy that my wife dated before myself was a star basketball player in high school. He was much taller than me. And when he came to the college that we attended, he actually played on the team. And not only was he like, you know, taller than me, but he was also a lot smarter than me, too. He got accepted into medical school. He went to residency to be a surgeon. And now he lives in Michigan and he's making tons of money. And every once in a while, when I think about him, that Jennifer gave him up for me, then I kind of feel like a wee little man. And nobody wants to feel that way. And the truth is, I don't think Zacchaeus wanted to feel that way and so in a real way his money and his connection to money what he was drawn to gain more money helped him to feel not so little because money always makes you feel bigger it makes you feel more like a somebody Money always allows other people who see you to be like, hey, that guy, he's a somebody. That guy is like big man on campus. Well, this is a kind of thing that was going on with Zacchaeus. But after a period of time, it started to wear off. Because that's what happens when you accumulate a whole bunch of money. No matter how much you get, eventually it doesn't do what you thought it would. And the bigger house, the more cars, the, the uh, vacation spots, whatever it is, none of it seems to be enough. And life is always like that. That's the way life works. And then with this concept of Zacchaeus being so wealthy, something changes, though. Remember, he's up in the tree and he doesn't want anybody to see him. I mean, he's a tax collector. People hate him. People don't want to be around him. So he thinks that while he's in this tree that he's hidden, but he's not hidden to everybody. Because Jesus sees him. Just like Jesus sees you. And in verse 5, this is what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And Zacchaeus was so kind of shocked by this. And all of a sudden, the crowd that he was, you know, in at one time, but now he's up in the tree. All the crowd looks up and look, look, look at that dude. He's up in a tree. And then Jesus says this. I must stay at your house. Folks, there's this huge crowd of people around Jesus. But Jesus doesn't know the crowd. He doesn't notice the people who are right close by him. He notices the guy up in the tree. And I want you to know, if you think you're a person who doesn't ever seem like you're noticed, he notices you. He notices you every single day. But the thing is, all the crowd starts going, really? Really, Jesus, you want to go to that guy's house? I mean, don't you know he's a corrupt tax collector? Nobody wants to go to that guy's house. Uh, Really? I mean, he's a despised tax collector. I just can't believe it, Jesus, that you want to do that. Now, this is the good news that I have for some of you right now. For some of you right now, I've got some great news for you. Because for some of you, you're struggling financially right now. You're like, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. You're worried about what the future is going to be. You're worried about today. And there's a part of you that just feels like your financial life is a train wreck. And you're kind of wondering, am I going to be able to make it out of this? Because the truth is, even before this pandemic took place, you were already struggling financially and you've already been thinking about filing bankruptcy and you feel like a failure and you feel like you've been dishonest. And for some of you, you may feel like you've cheated some people. For others of you, you may feel greedy. For some of you, maybe you're on a path right now to go to jail. Or maybe we know that some people from jail and prison have been watching us. And that was your conviction. And you feel like such a failure. And this is the good news that I have for you. That your financial struggle is not a barrier for Jesus coming to your house today. That your financial struggle, whatever it is, is not a barrier for Jesus coming to your house today. You know, it must have been amazing for Jesus to experience this time with Zacchaeus. But for Zacchaeus, it must have been even way cooler. You see... Jesus loves to bring grace to people who finally say, all right, I was living like this with closed fists, but now I have open hands. And God says, well, I'll fill them. I'll pour something into them if you'll be generous and be open-handed. Well, the story says that they went to his house and I often have wondered, kind of like what was the talk that they had heading to the house? I mean, I kind of wonder like, You know, what was said in the midst of that? What were they thinking? What were the things that they connected together? You know, I mean, when they get to the house, I have a feeling that all of a sudden you see this big house. And Zacchaeus is like, you know, I have one of the biggest houses in all of Jericho. And yet the reality is right now it kind of feels like a prison. Because nobody wants to come over. Nobody wants to do anything. And all of these things are triggered into his mind. And he starts thinking, wonder what I could do with my financial life if I had an open hand like Jesus said. I wonder if Jesus may have said something like this to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, your whole life has been about money. You've been a money guy. You get money. You know money. But it is getting money. You know where Zacchaeus, is it really getting you where you hoped you would be? And Zacchaeus is there and he's thinking to himself, it's not anymore. It doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, well, you're really good at it. I know. And maybe at one time, you know, you were like, hey, at first I wasn't that wealthy. I was just walking. But then all of a sudden, you know, I was like, I don't want to walk anymore. I want to get a donkey. And so you You know, you purchased the donkey, but after a while, the donkey was not all that great. And you thought to yourself, I'll upgrade to a camel. And uh, a camel in the Middle East, folks, is kind of like, you know, a GMC uh, Hummer EV. They're not even out yet, but they're an all-terrain vehicle, and they're going to be amazing. And so that's what the camel was like. And then eventually you're like, well, a camel's not enough. I think I need a double-humped kind of camel. I need two humped camel. I mean, one hump is not enough. And you can put the kids in the middle, keep them safe. Mom and dad are there and everything's well. And then you're like, well, that's not enough. And then pretty soon, you know, Jesus is like, and that wasn't enough for you. Cause I can tell you got a lot of different camels now, and there's multiple camels that are in the midst of this. And you're thinking to yourself, how much more do you need Zacchaeus? And I wonder if Jesus said something like this, how many camels is it going to take, Zacchaeus, for you to be happy? And then he said, what about clothing, Zacchaeus? You know, you're, you're like really, you know, just kind of decked out here. You're dressed out in amazing ways. But there was a time you had shabby clothes, but then all of a sudden you're like, well, that's not enough. And then you got enough money to actually buy kind of a fine silk robe. And you got that robe and you thought that was so great, but then all of a sudden that wasn't enough. And so just like you did with the donkey and the camels, that weren't enough. Now, all of a sudden, one silk robe is not enough and you need to get multiple ones. And pretty soon you have closets full of these different kind of robes. And now you have so many closets full of robes that you can't even wear them all anymore. So how many robes do you need, Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. Before it's enough. How many more? In other words, this is what I want to say to you. You can be satisfied with your money, but you can never be satisfied in your money. You can only ever be satisfied with God. Let me say that again. You can. Be satisfied with your money, but you can never be satisfied in your money. You can only ever be satisfied with God. And then Jesus says, Zacchaeus, now that you've learned this, how about, what if you could experience joy and contentment just exactly where you were? That you just lived your life with an open hand and you were generous with whatever God gave to you. I mean, you could do that today, Zacchaeus. You could surrender everything to me. You could live a life of the open hand and you could follow me and you could be a generous guy and you could use whatever resources God gives to you to feed the hungry, to care for the people around you. And then people would no longer like curse you, but people would actually start blessing you. And they would be saying encouraging words if you would just be able to have an open Well, Jesus shares all of these things and these words are coming in Zacchaeus' mind. He's like, whoa. And he's like, I've just never thought about that before. I've just never kind of had those thoughts. And all of a sudden his heart starts pumping. It's almost like it's pumping out of his chest. And then in this story, we have that kind of this dramatic moment in verse eight in which it says, but Zacchaeus stood up. But Zacchaeus stood up. You see, you might read that and be, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it was huge in the Middle East during this time because hospitality was so important. And typically, the host of a dinner would stand up and he would recognize all of the different important people who were there. And then he would recognize the guest of honor, the primary guest. So it's not really kind of all that surprising that this takes place. But what is surprising is that when Zacchaeus stands up to recognize everybody, he doesn't do the typical after dinner speech. Instead, he looks straight at Jesus straight into his eyes and his heart is pounding right out of his chest. And he looks at Jesus and he says this, look, Lord here. And now I give my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated, Anybody, anything, and everybody's around there is like, he's cheated me, he's cheated me, my aunt, my uncle, my cousin, everyone there, they know they've been cheated before, and he says, anyone that I've cheated, I will pay back four times as much. And at this point, people are like falling off their chairs and they're, you know, passing out, they're shocked, they're stunned, they're like, Four times as much he's going to pay us back. And all of a sudden you see Mrs. is going, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about this first. And the kids are like pulling at his rope. No, daddy, no, daddy. Don't take my iPad away and all the stuff I can get if we can go to Disney. But Zacchaeus is so captivated by the possibility of living this new life, a life that has open hands, that he's just like crazy. He's like, I'll do anything to be in the light of the kingdom of God. And Zacchaeus stood up and he said, I'm leaving the discontentment zone, and I'm entering into the generosity zone. What I have is more more than enough, and check this out, I will live on less. (laughs) What a crazy idea. I'll actually live on less so that I can have open hands to be generous to other people, because this is the truth that... Folks, that one day we'll all be judged based upon our generosity here on earth. And I want to be the kind of person who has open hands and not closed fist. Well, he goes on publicly and he says, Hey, here's my decision too. I'm going to give 50% of everything I have away. I believe. That 50% of what I have with God is more than 100% without God. Let me say that again. He says 50% with God is more than 100% without God. Now think about that. And then Zacchaeus says, I'll make things right with whomever I need to. I'll pay back anyone that I've cheated four times as much. And then Jesus stands up. And Jesus doesn't kind of do his normal kind of after dinner kind of speech. And, hey, thank you so much for the meal and inviting me here. And this was all great. But he looks straight at Zacchaeus. This wee little man. And he looks at him with love. And he says these words. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man. This wee little man, this tax collector is a son of Abraham. Now, folks, I want you to know that this language is not accidental. Most of us, when we read this passage, we just kind of read through this and we're like, oh, okay, great. Everything's good. But what Jesus does for Zacchaeus is is beyond belief if you were in the Middle East at that time. You see, the highest compliment that you could ever be uh, given to you was that you would be called a son of Sarah or a son of Abraham. And Jesus looks into his eyes and he says, Zacchaeus, today salvation comes to this house and you are a son of of Abraham, And all of a sudden he's thinking to himself, I haven't been called a son of Abraham for decades and decades. Now he's been called a son of something else. You know what I mean? But he's never been called this. And Zacchaeus receives this and he receives it with open hands. You know, it must have been something else to be with Jesus. It must have been just. Such a powerful thing to walk with him and to be with him and to know that you were loved by him. How awesome it would have been to sit down at a table with him and to have dinner with him. And when Zacchaeus does, Jesus says to him, salvation has come to this house. Now, here, what Jesus means is not that Zacchaeus has kind of bought his way into heaven. I mean, none of us can do that, folks. You can't earn your way in. It all comes as a gift of grace from an open-handed God who simply says, now that I have opened my hands to you, will you open your hands to the world? You see, Jesus stopped By that tree, and when he looks up at Zacchaeus, he says, I accept you as is. You know, the word salvation can actually be translated healing or deliverance. But it actually means much more than just saying, hey, I believe so that I can go to heaven. It means that for Zacchaeus, this disease of having to have more all the time and to have a closed fist, it has now been corroded away and now he has been healed. And the treadmill that he has been on forever of trying to get more and more and more, he's been delivered from. He realizes now He no longer is in this prison of the myth of more. Now, I have a feeling that many of you are probably very familiar with the myth of more. The myth of more goes something like this. If I had just a little bit more, then I would be happy. A little more money, a little more car, a little more house, a little more of anything else. And that that would actually satisfy my soul. When my wife, Jennifer, and I first got married, uh, we bought into the myth of more hook, line, and sinker. We just never had that small little word enough in our vocabulary. And so we went out and we purchased whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. Whether there was a crisis or no crisis, we didn't care. And we had these little square little cards. And we would take these cards and we would pay for things and we didn't have to pay for this uh, for over a year. And we just kept using one card and it kind of maxed out. And then we used the second card and it kind of maxed out as well. The only problem was, folks, is at that time I was only making $16,000 a year, but we were spending like we had much more than that. And I'll never forget the day that I got the bill from the credit card company and that I wasn't able to pay the minimum payment. And it was on that day, I remember saying enough, enough. It's just not worth it. It's it's enough. The craziness is enough, enough of living beyond my, our means enough of kind of piling up debt. God, if you'll teach us right now to learn how to be content, I'll live the rest of my life with open hands, but you've got to help us. And we had to, Get a buddy of ours who was an accountant, he came in, he gave us a budget. We were only able to have $10 for pizza once a month at Pizza King. We mooched off of everybody that we could, and we just had to really kind of be bare bones about everything. And we cut up those credit cards. And I remember saying at that, if we cannot pay off the full amount, if we don't have enough, then we'll never use those again. And for two years, it took us to pay it all off, but eventually we were able to do that. And in the midst of that, folks, we learned how to be open-handed people, to be content. And God has continually, since that time, Given us provision, and I think the reason why He has provided for us is because we chose not to live a life of closed fist, but a life of open hands. Folks, all of us have lost money in the midst of this crisis, and I know many of you are going to be tempted to get kind of closed fisted. And you'll begin to start asking yourself, well, I'm just not sure. I don't know if I have enough. Will I get enough? Will I make enough? Well, this is what God says. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your light will rise and the darkness of your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs. Not your wants, but he will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land. You will be well watered, just like a garden, like a spring whose water never, ever fails. And my question for you is, do you believe that? Because there's a lot of things that we read in the Bible That we know, but do we believe? And would we be able to say, God with open hands, I have enough. And I will choose to live a life of enough. If you would, wherever you're at right now, whatever room that you're in, what I'd like you to do is simply place your arms out in front of you first of all like a tight fist and then right now what I'd like you to do is simply to open up your hands and to be open handed as we receive this prayer right now let's pray God of the open hand who fills each hand In each room. We give you thanks and praise God for the many blessings that you give to us. And we know that you are enough. And if you're scared about your money. All my stuff. The house. The car. Whatever. God. I'm believing now with open hands. It's all yours. Thinking that for some of you right now. The truth is. is that. Is that. You're like Zacchaeus. You're kind of interested in the things of Jesus. Maybe you've watched the stream a few times. Maybe you've kind of drifted back. Maybe today is the first time that you're watching it. But you're up in a tree and you're hiding away because the crowd you are fearful of. You're fearful because of getting a virus, maybe. You're fearful of the crowd because of what they think about you. You're, you're fearful of them in some other way. But the truth is, Jesus looks up in the tree and he notices you and he says to you today, Will you come down? Because if you do, I'm coming to your house today. And nothing from your past... Nothing that you're dealing with right now will keep me from coming to you. And so if you're ready right now to say, Jesus, I want to have open hands. He's here and present. But for some of you, the problem is that word enough has another word connected to it is I'm not good enough. And Jesus, I'm ready to renew my commitment with open hands, leave them open my life to you. Make me brand new. Be the Lord. I choose to live for you. I, in Jesus' name, said that is celebrating with you right now. And if you would just tap on that raise hand button, for you needing prayer? Some of you are need someone to be. Most would love to pray, as many praying for you, and as you get back in the routine, and to so the people around. them, and so as we're able to start our week, we'll see you then everybody.